Let's give thanks for the meal that we just received. Our living Lord, you have fed us for generations. We are full again, but we know it is not going to last. We will be hungry again. We ate breakfast together this morning as a church, all of us invited to a meal together. We enjoyed, and we ate from your table during our worship of you this morning. All of us invited to a meal together that we enjoyed, but we will soon need more. And we look forward to the day when everything is finished, not just the work of creation, but the entire plan of salvation. Take us today to the empty tomb and begin this new creation in our lives today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Easter Sunday is always a celebration of the empty tomb of Jesus. But it's also a reminder of how we got to that tomb in the first place. In order to live eternally with Jesus in this new creation that we are promised of no more tears, no more death, we are invited to die to ourselves to take up our crosses and follow Jesus. I want to begin and end this Easter sermon with a prayer at the beginning and the end, and they're not my prayers. They're actually the prayers of a post-World War II chaplain named Michelle Claw, who did a lot of writing in the 1950s. Uh, Some of my favorites of his are actually 14 prayers that he wrote around the cross of Christ. Uh, And I'll warn you, uh, it's kind of no-holds-bar prayer. Um, He is fairly raw. You may hear him say some things that you may think, oh, I don't know about that, but just hear him out. Uh, Because it uh, it is something worth listening to on our way to the cross and on our way away from the cross in light of the empty tomb, all of which are on our minds this morning. So, the first one um, at the beginning. Lord, it's too late for you to be quiet. You have spoken too much. You have fought too much. You were not sensible, you know, you exaggerated, it was bound to happen. You called the better people a breed of vipers. You told them that their hearts were black sepulchers with fine exteriors. You chose the decaying lepers. You spoke fearlessly with unacceptable strangers. You ate with notorious sinners And you said that streetwalkers would be the first in paradise? You got on well with the poor, the bums, the crippled. You belittled the religious regulations. Your interpretation of the law reduced it to one little commandment, to love. Now they are avenging themselves. They have taken steps against you. They have approached the authorities and action will follow. 
Lord, I know that if I try to live a little like you, I shall be condemned. I'm afraid. They are already singling me out. Some smile at me. Others laugh. Some are shocked. And several of my friends are about to drop me. I am afraid to stop. I am afraid to listen to men's wisdom. It whispers. You must go forward little by little. Everything can't be taken literally. It's better to come to terms with the adversary. And yet, Lord, I know that you are right. Help me to fight. Help me to speak. Help me to live your gospel to the end, to the folly of the cross. If you don't understand why people who learn English as a second language have so much trouble grasping the subtleties of English, consider the following sentence. That shirt is pretty ugly. Pretty ugly. It's descriptive, but it's also a little confusing. So a couple of weeks ago, Jen and I were at Lake Catherine in Arkansas. We woke up early one morning to the most beautiful sky I've ever seen. And I know people say that, like this was the best, this was the, no, this really was the most beautiful sky I've ever seen. The photo and the words combined still cannot capture it, uh, but they can help. But it's the combination of the words that about to put together to describe, and they don't go together, but when you see the picture, you'll understand. By the way, to our internet listeners, just bear with me, let me talk to the internet for a minute. To our internet listeners, uh, sorry you can't see the screen, maybe email the church office and we'll send you a picture. So, I'm about to show you the early morning sunrise that we captured as very gradually and slowly the dome above us turned into what Carol Johnson once received. And she's the one that I heard this description from. Um, and this description stuck with me and has become a favorite. What Carol Johnson once called, because she heard it a long time ago, sky blue pink. It was early in the morning. We were tired, upset, and thought that everything had come to an end. Everything we thought was a part of following Jesus suddenly changed around us, right before our eyes, and we felt helpless to do anything about it. But just like the very first day when God spoke into existence the entire world with this phrase, let there be light. And Jesus still speaks today. The light of the world 
Because not only is creation not over, but rather we are smack dab in the middle of what the Bible so appropriately calls and that we have to keep saying and just hold on to with all of our might, new creation. John 20 begins with words in present tense. It even begins with the word now. Roughly translated, John 20 begins with the phrase, Now on the first day of the week, Mary the Magdalene comes in early darkness to the tomb. Not went to the tomb, as though telling a story from the past, but to get us into the story as though it's happening right now, which John does on purpose. John is a master at saying, you cannot read this story as something that happened a long time ago. Instead, let me tell you the story this way, comes on the first day of the week while it is still dark. That sound familiar, by the way? Remember another story from a long, long time ago that begins with things like first and darkness with a single actor in the story? You remember how the very first day began? Began in darkness and then comes light. Early, on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb and sees that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. This is John's way of giving us a gift. That sky blue pink out at the lake was a gift. Like a gift from God that leaves you feeling grateful. That You kind of just want to say, yay God. It's a gift from God that turns darkness into breathtaking beauty. That turns dull shadows into sky blue pink. It's visual proof that God can turn any darkness in you into tremendous beauty. And if you don't hear anything else today, if you don't remember any of the words of the songs, 
if you don't remember any of this sermon, things that are read, even conversations that you have, if you don't remember anything else out of today, I am begging you as much as someone who does this sort of thing can beg fine people like you, please hear this. If you don't hear anything else, this day is proof God can turn any darkness that is in you at all into tremendous beauty. Powerful, redemptive, resurrection beauty. The resurrection story of Jesus will continue. It goes from chapter 20 into chapter 21 that begins with Jesus' own disciples fishing at night and catching nothing. And again, John's telling us a story, and he's inviting us into a story, and every single bit of it is on purpose, meant to convey to us a story. After Jesus' resurrection, where are the disciples at the beginning of John 21? They're in darkness. They're in total darkness, and they're fishing. And you know what they're catching? Nothing. So how does the beginning of the story of Jesus' followers after the resurrection begin? Darkness and nothing. And then John tells us that story, not early while it was still dark, but with three life-giving words of new creation by the time we reach 21.4. And again, it's on purpose because the story transitions from darkness and nothing to 21.4 that begins with the three life-giving words of new creation just after daybreak. It feels pretty apparent that some days that it's still early and that we are still in darkness. I want so badly, and I'm just going to tell you outright, I really want very badly to believe all this stuff that I'm saying all day, every day. I really do. And so I do. I do. I believe it. But some days I believe it because I just flat out choose, I'm going to believe this today. I'm going to believe it because it sustained me up to this point, and it's going to keep sustaining me. But I'm telling you, some days, you know, on those days of darkness, it's really hard. It's really hard to keep believing. Days when it feels like it is still early, when we're out fishing in darkness and we are catching nothing. You ever feel, I'm, I'm speaking in metaphor. Some of you may fish and you may go out in darkness. More power to you. I ain't going with you. But... <laughs> You may really like that sort of thing, and if you do, you can take all of this literally. For those of us who don't go fishing in the middle of the night, take this as a metaphor. Do you ever feel like you are just out in the dark fishing and you're catching nothing? You ever feel that way? Well, you're in good company because the, the guys who are absolute closest to Jesus, we say this all the time, well, if we had just walked with Jesus, this would be easier. No, you would be out fishing, catching nothing. And you were some of the ones that were closest 
to Jesus. So, I mean, welcome to the club. Some days it's going to feel like darkness. Just absolute darkness. You're going to wake up, and it's still going to be dark outside, and you're going to turn on your phone, because you don't, you don't leave it on all night, right? You get texts at 2 o'clock in the morning. Anyway, you wake up, you turn on your phone, you click the little button that says news, and you're just bombarded by this real bright light that's filled with total darkness. And it feels that way. It just feels like absolute darkness, and it feels like it's still early. But, we only have to tell the story of Jesus to receive this one big gift from God that while it may still be early, it is actually, in light of the resurrection of Jesus, just after daybreak. Today we got up while it was still early. Some days it feels like darkness, but it's not. It's not darkness. It's just after daybreak. Right now. It's just after daybreak. Yes, it is still early. But the living Jesus continues to take us from shadows into sky blue pink. I think that's why the resurrected Jesus keeps telling his disciples what he tells us today. Peace be with you. You and I have run to the tomb together to reflect on what the death of Jesus does to our lives, but when we ran to the tomb, thinking about Jesus' death, we saw that the stone had been removed, and it raises a lot of questions. Still panting from our sprint to the tomb where we outran everybody else, we're mixed with fear, and we're mixed with excitement, and the cloths are just laid in the empty tomb. The good news is that early morning, just after daybreak, always brings clarity. That's probably why we say, let's sleep on this before we make a decision. Because morning, somehow, and I don't know how it does it, but it, it does seem to do it, that morning brings clarity. But on this early morning, this early Easter morning, all the violence surrounding Jesus' death is still fresh on our minds. And yeah, this is a celebratory morning, but it was just a couple of days ago in telling this story that it was all kinds of violence and all kinds of hatred. The cross was extraordinarily violent, but then, not just with that, we keep hearing echoes, and we keep seeing sights of everything that happened right before the cross. And mainly what bothers me so much about that story is that it was the religious leaders. It was the religious leaders that were walking hand in hand with these tyrannical powers that be. Can you believe that? 
religious leaders walking hand in hand with tyranny. And it just doesn't seem right. We keep seeing one of Jesus' closest followers, Peter, who had followed Jesus and walked with Jesus for years and years. I mean, hearing Jesus say things like, love one another, and forgive, and do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Peter, who heard Jesus say, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The minute Jesus was arrested, he cut off somebody's ear. And I mean, I'm not even close to being Jesus. If I was, I might have gone over to Peter and said, Dude, man, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Did you forget that one? Don't cut off people's ears. And John includes these details about real people in the midst of extraordinary violence and hatred. And I think I know why. I think it's because we are real people in the midst of violence and hatred. But to return violence with violence only creates more violence. And it's wrong. It's just wrong. And I'm not talking about big wartime stuff. I'm talking about what Jesus was talking about. Everyday life what can often result in the violence and hatred that we encounter just in everyday little things, not the big stuff, but I'm talking just the little everyday things. And I think if this Easter Sunday morning, like all the ones that we've experienced before, Today, I think this one may be calling us to not give in to the world's example of slander and name-calling and contests, but instead to choose the better path, the daybreak path that Jesus has taught us. In the beginning was the Word. This is the way John begins his gospel. But as the story ends, it yields a new beginning, a new creation. Yes, in the beginning was the Word, but so too in the end was the Word as well. Because the end is really a new creation. And that brings us back to the 14th poem in the shadow of the cross. It's no longer shadow, but now is light. Light that dazzles us with beauty that even goes beyond glimpses of sky blue pink. So the 14th one, let's forget it now and I'll go home. He's buried and the stone is in place. His family is in tears. His friends are lost. This time it is really over. Lord, 
it is not over. You are in agony till the end of time. I know. Men tread in relays the way to the cross. The resurrection will only be completed when they have reached the end of the way. I am on the road. I have a small share of your suffering and the others have theirs. Together we help you to carry the burden that you have assumed and made divine. There lies my hope, Lord, and my invincible trust. There is not a fraction of my little suffering that you have not already lived and transformed into infinite redemption. When the road is hard and monotonous, when it leads to the grave, I know that beyond the grave you are waiting for me in your glory. Lord, help me faithfully to travel along my road at my proper place in the vastness of humanity. Help me above all to recognize you and to help you and all my pilgrim brothers. For it would be a lie to weep before your lifeless image if I did not follow you living on the road that men travel. We are invited today to take up our crosses and follow Jesus. Even as we know the whole story, that this will not result in our dying, but in life everlasting, into abundant life. We are already living in the new creation of Jesus. In this pronouncement from the cross that Jesus made, it is finished. That maybe we'll be able to hear and then just catch glimpses of this invitation into the new creation of the living Jesus beginning and the end, as we live in Bolden, in Jesus with invincible trust, as we get a little bit closer today into this world without end. Amen.